0: This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting Audibletrial.com/slash Rich Sports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Here's your host. Richmond Weaver.
1: What time is it?
0: This is episode 77. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you are listening through whatever platform that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. There are times in life when your path seems to be clicking on all cylinders and things are going great. And the next thing you know, things change quickly. And our guest this episode, Trevor Knight, experienced that firsthand while playing for the Oklahoma Sooners from 2012 to 2015. He would be named the starting quarterback after redshirting his freshman year and would help lead the Sooners to an 11-2 record that year Beating Alabama 45 to 31 in the Sugar Bowl, where he was named Sugar Bowl Most Outstanding Player. He would lose the starting quarterback position to Baker Mayfield and would ultimately transfer to Texas AM after earning his degree in December of 2015. Trevor would then also earn the starting quarterback position for the Aggies, helping them start the season at 7-1, but a shoulder injury would ultimately sideline him towards the end of the season. And then, before signing with the Arizona Cardinals and spending time with the Atlanta Falcons as an undrafted free agent, Trevor would earn the Warful Trophy given annually to the college football player who best combines exemplary community service with athletic and academic achievement. Now, here's episode 77 with Trevor Knight. We're live with former Oklahoma and Texas A&M quarterback and also 2014 Sugar Bowl MVP, Trevor Knight. And this is our first live podcast. So Trevor, thank you.
1: Absolutely. Good to be on. I'm glad I'm I'm part of the inauguration of Facebook Live. (laughs) It is. This is going to be something a little different. So we're just going to roll with it. Let's do it. I hope you're okay with that. Ready to rock.
0: Well, you didn't know that your life was about to change, that being the first one as a live podcast with rich take on sports, who knows how famous you're going to be now, right? <laughs> I mean it could go through the moon from here, right? That's right. You thought you were famous once Katy Perry threw your name out there on national TV. <laughs> now this is a
1: completely different story. This is a little, little step up from that, isn't it? <laughs> That's right.
0: Now, do people still even ask you about the whole Katy Perry situation? All the time.
1: It is it's a fun topic of conversation and it, it leads into a even bigger topic of conversation and you know, what is college athletics all about? And, of course winning big games from time to time that's a a good topic of conversation but it's the things off the field to the little things like that that really make college football and college athletics as a whole a whole lot of fun um you know I get to tell my kids one day hey this pop star called me out on college game day. that's <laughs> that's a cool story it people is. like hearing about that cuz it's all so, about
0: experiences right absolutely. i mean so many times we focus on possessions but i think the key thing is just focus on experiences and that's what you've been able to do through sports and how has it allowed you to have all of these different experiences. So let's walk back though, getting through that first opportunities of you playing sports and what's your earliest memories of gravitating towards sports?
1: You know, it goes back a long way for me. Um, I have a twin brother, And so we always had somebody that we were playing against growing up. We had some fierce competition in the backyard, (laughs) and uh, it it came to blows a couple times. But that was huge for me because, like I said, I always had somebody to go play catch with, always had somebody to go play one-on-one with, whatever it was. And so I remember watching home videos, and I don't have any recollection of this, but our second birthday party, we had a little Tykes goal, and all we wanted to do the whole birthday party was shoot hoops on that thing. Um, And then, you know, all the movies that come out, I was a big Sandlot fan growing up. So I was, whatever type of movie I was watching, I'd dress up in the whole outfit. So for that, my baseball uniform was on. If I was watching, you know, Air Bud, the football movie, I had my whole football gig on. So I was always a sports guy, but I think where it really started to take shape was in T-ball. And I know it's like, what really happens in T-ball, right? But me and my twin brother were a little bit bigger than everybody else, and our parents had to bring our birth certificates because, I'm not kidding, <laughs> I didn't have quite as much power as he did. I'd hit you know, an inside the park home run every time or something like that. Yeah. My twin brother was hitting it over the fence every at bat. It's like, who are these kids? You know They're, they're four or five years old. They're hitting it over the fence every time. So uh, that was kind of where it first began. But golly, what an incredible journey to be able to sit here right now and look back at all the way back to T ball and then into middle school, high school, and, and then college ball and even playing a little bit in the pros now. It's so many memories, so many lessons learned and just an incredible experience that I would never I would never give up. How did you get to football then and then the quarterback position? Because that is a highly sought after position. Yeah, I was always a quarterback, and my brother was always a receiver, and that's just the way it was in the backyard. Just a one-two punch. Absolutely. The Knight brothers. Somebody had to throw it. Somebody had to catch it. And so I was the thrower. He was was catching it most of the time. And um, I, I started playing quarterback when we started flag football, I think kindergarten. And I never played another position. Of course, in middle school and everything, you play both ways. So I was the hard-hitting safety every once in a while. But So did you like quarterback more than playing defense? I did. Yeah, yeah that was just what I did. And I always kind of had a, a good arm, a decent arm. And so I just began to develop. And, you know, I was never the kid that was going to a bunch of camps to try to develop as a quarterback, which I know nowadays that's a little bit more... You know a lot of kids tend to do that a little bit more that nowadays. seems the focus point that you have to go to these camps, so you never really did that never did that, and I was lucky enough to have a dad that always just pushed me to be my best at whatever I wanted to do. He wasn't forcing me to do anything, and that was a big life lesson that I like to you know tell kids now is hey, if you're having fun and if you're working hard, everything else will fall into place. you know you'll be dedicated to something because you enjoy it and because you're having fun doing it. you know it's not not about going to all these camps and you know trying to be the best you can be when you're six seven years old or even sixth seventh grade it's hey do I really enjoy what I'm doing let me go work at it because I enjoy it and then everything else falls into place and it's you know I tell a lot of people your dream may be to be a, a college quarterback and I've got to fulfill my dream in that but you know maybe sometimes your your plan's a little bit different and you're supposed to go do something else and it's okay you know you don't have to always put your eggs in one basket but You know, I got to put all my eggs in that basket and it worked out for me. So it's been pretty cool. So when was it that you had that feeling that, all right, this is my dream. I want to play college football. I want to play quarterback. When did that hit you? Well, you know, I grew up a big time Texas Longhorn fan. I'm grew up an hour south in san antonio and my dad went to ut my room was burnt orange and it's funny now to navigate that conversation of well i'm an aggie (laughs) and a sooner that's right and which is the two biggest rivals but uh everything worked out great but i used to go up to austin with my dad and i idolized colt mccoy i thought he was the greatest person ever i thought he was the greatest player ever so i had my dad buy me a number 12 jersey and i would walk around austin telling people before games that i was colt mccoy's little brother and so that's all (laughs) from that That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be like Colt McCoy. And it really wasn't until I got my first scholarship offer, which was UTSA, where it truly hit me. You know, I was, I always knew I was talented. I always saw success on the field. But until that actually happened, I didn't realize the magnitude. And then from then on going through recruiting, you know, you start it's a snowball effect once you get one, you get a few more and I started getting offers from some bigger schools and it was it was surreal. It was really cool for me to know that not only am I going to get my education paid for, but I get to fulfill my dream at playing one of the highest levels of of a sport and to say football was kind of the the pathway isn't necessarily true I played basketball and baseball as well and there was a point in time where I really wanted to go play college baseball and I had an opportunity to do that but it just it's funny how life just kind of shapes out and uh, football was the best avenue and it's been so great to me and unfortunately I've had some injuries through it all but that's that's part of the game but football's been the best path for me as far as pursuing my dreams yeah
0: and speaking of injuries
1: I know you just had back surgery not too long ago how are you feeling now feel great uh, I was in October that I had back surgery and it was a uh, first time i ever had surgery i've been hurt a lot but first time i went under the knife and so it was tough um i thought i was you know in a really good position out with the atlanta falcons at the time and but you know it's just not part of my path not part of my story and i feel good, feel great today actually and um hoping that whatever comes next is going to be even better than than just staying in Atlanta yeah well you have to be feeling well
0: to do CrossFit with Dan Everett absolutely who you're here with today <laughs> so to my butt that. yesterday absolutely <laughs> so but was it an acute injury that happened for you know, your back was, or was
1: it something just over time it was interesting I got off the field one day and my back was a little tight just like it's been a million times playing playing athletics and got a little treatment and then you fast forward you know, three weeks down the road and I can't even get out of bed. I was having so much pain. And so I had ruptured a disc in my lower back um, and it just started to push on the nerve, get nerve, t- nerve pain down the legs and, you know, ended up having to go under the knife. And I get it. You know, it's, it's part of the game. You look at any player in the NFL, any player at a high level, there's a chance they've probably either had surgery or had a, a decent size injury before. And so I, it, it is part yeah. of the game, but it's how you respond from it. And that's the way I've approached sport and life. All Throughout athletics, it's how you respond to it.
0: And how often were you playing hurt? And I'm not talking just you know where you can't physically play, but I'm just talking where you're there's aches and pains and you're just having to fight through it. How often was that? You know, I played quarterback, but I
1: ran the ball a lot in college and in high school. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, you came out as a dual threat guy, absolutely. And you know, in high school. You can kind of, you know, shimmy your way out of a hit, and you're not going to take a huge hit all the time. You're not that banged up after games. But once you get to the college level and, you know, the DNs nowadays are, you know, 6'5", <laughs> exactly. 280, and run a four three. you know, it's just – it hurts a little bit every time you get hit. And so I'd, I'd say really banged up to where you're, wow, this is going to be a rough week at least half the year, wow. if not more than that. And then there's guys that are – So he's just constant. Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. I – one of the best stories I can tell, and it's not a good story, but my roommate in college, Ty Darlington, um, when I was at Oklahoma, he was our center. Poor kid would wake up in the morning, and he looked like a 90-year-old man, just ah. hobbling along. And then, of course, he'd loosen up throughout the day, but especially there in the trenches for those guys, they take a beating week in and week out. But again, that's part of it, and you, is. you risk your body. And not, not a lot of people see that on Saturdays or Sundays, but... It's physically demanding.
0: Yeah. And so, do oh, you have a memory of the hardest time you ever got hit?
1: Oh, there's a couple of those. Um, I think one of my favorite stories to tell was uh, we were playing Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Great night, great game. But we ran a little QB option play, and I pulled the ball, and it's me and C.J. Mosley in the <laughs> hole. C.J. Mosley oh, yes. is uh, arguably the best player defender that i ever played against okay and i i had nowhere to go i knew i was about to get pummeled and so i kind of shied away from the hit which is not the best thing to do it always hurts worse you when you do that it, right absolutely and he picked me up and just slammed me into the turf and it was one of those ones where <laughs> every ounce of breath leaves your body you know and you just kind of let out the, oh, you know and then you get up and you got to shake it off for the next four plays you know but that was probably the most memorable one i you know i didn't take any of those you know, yeah, massive hits. Massive hits that are knock you, know, you out. Yeah. I did I say that. I got carted off the field my junior year. Uh Sean Oakman and a couple other guys on the Baylor defense hit me and had a neck injury. And so you know I I Well, I'd say I, that's a hard hit. I I probably should have said yeah. that one first. But uh <laughs> Yeah, you know it, it hurts a little bit, but that's that's part of the game. That's part what of going about to battle. What about concussions? Did you ever have a concussion? Knock on wood, never had a concussion, at least a diagnosed one. You know, that's, that's right. That's one of the things people don't understand is sometimes you take a hit and you're seeing stars, you black out for a second, and you're back there seeing you know three balls in front of you trying to take a snap, but you know no lingering headaches after that. So I guess I've never had a concussion. But just we'll, keep playing. We'll see,
0: right? So right. now you talk about your passion for UT. Texas football and burnt orange and all of that. And you're trying to tell people you're Colt McCoy's little brother, which I love. But so did you get an offer from Texas? I mean, how did you get to Oklahoma and not
1: try to pursue Texas? You know, it was an interesting time in Austin. Um, Mac Brown was sort of on his way out. They just mm-hmm. brought in a new offensive coordinator named Brian Harson from Boise State. Um, and he kind of had his guy that he was recruiting at Boise State. So we had conversations early on in the recruiting process, but it was, Hey, we got this guy. This is, this is who we're going to stick with, but let's, you know, let's stay in touch. So it wasn't until the end of recruiting where they came around and actually extended me an offer. At that time, I was, you know, kind of saw the writing on the wall, which I'm very thankful for that maybe they weren't headed in the right direction as far as leadership. And there was just a lot of unknowns. And so I ended up kind of opening my eyes up to different options but early on I wanted to stay in the state of Texas you know stay close to mom and dad's playing the big 12 there's a lot of great options there in in the state and so I committed to A&M my junior year and was was ready to go I was under Mike Sherman loved the staff Tom Rossley was the QB coach Johnny Manziel was a year ahead of me and he was red shirting and you know I just thought it was a, a good place to go and it was close to home I just kept in touch with Coach Stoops and Josh Heupel at the time, which was our OC up at Oklahoma. Yeah. said, hey, man, just come up for a visit. Well, fast forward a little bit. Coach Sherman gets fired. That's right. Who's coming in? I don't know. Another kind of question mark. So I go up and visit Oklahoma. And me and my twin brother decided we were going to play together no matter what. And we get in the car after visiting Norman and driving back down I-35 back to San Antonio, which is about an eight-hour drive. And we looked at each other within the first 20 minutes, and we were just like, this is it. This is the place we're supposed knew. to be. We just knew. And everybody said through the I know, process. Yeah, so,
0: uh, t- t- tell me how
1: that is, this, this gut feeling. It that is. You just, it just really know. is. And, you know, I was searching for that, and I thought I felt that at A&M. Yeah. I was excited. I went up, and me and my dad bought all the memorabilia, which we ended up giving to some cousins. <laughs> you know, that was, a, that was a hit on the wallet. But, <laughs> yes. um, yeah, so we, you know, I thought I knew it there, but it really was that gut feeling driving back from it was just different at oklahoma than the feeling that you had at texas and and not saying that a&m was a bad place obviously i end up there at the end of my career but it was just that feeling of hey this is where i'm supposed to be and that's a cool feeling and it was those four years in norman i i wouldn't trade those for anything and there was on the field a lot of highs a lot of lows a lot of cool experiences you know some some rougher experiences but looking back on and off the field was the best place for me. And then I got to go spend a a year at a place that I originally wanted to go. Of course. Also an incredible experience. I wouldn't trade my college experience for anything. And, you know, I tell people, yeah, of course, I wanted to go to Oklahoma. I wanted to win four Heisman trophies. I wanted to win four national championships, and I never wanted to lose a game. But that's not reality, (laughs) you know. And through the highs and lows, I learned so much about myself as a person. And kind of like what we were talking about a little while ago, just the parallels between Life and sport. There, I mean, yeah. you just can't. So, what, what did you learn about yourself? Well, you know, just facing adversity. You know, when I when I get up there and immediately I redshirt, which I'd never sat on the sidelines of a game my entire life, and that was the first like, okay, well, I'm not in the limelight anymore. You know, how do I become a leader? And my deal was, hey, I'm just gonna outwork everybody. So I my competition every week was in that weight room, and I earned a lot of respect from my teammates that off season or really that season, just working hard and trying to develop leadership without being on the field which is difficult at that level of football you earn leadership by being yeah. a guy on the field making plays and how can you provide value if you're not on the field absolutely and being an older guy so being a young guy not on the field that was that was difficult but i felt like i did a pretty good job of that and then you know i was on cloud 9 got named the starter as a redshirt freshman you know i was ready to rock and roll i i remember after i got named the starter it was i think a week and a half before our first game i was i sat on the bed of my truck with the stadium right in front of me, and I was just that was surreal. I was thinking, man, in a week and a half, that place is mine. You know, that's my home. What a cool feeling. As a kid, that idolized had Cole to be McCoy. surreal. Yeah, I'm not at Texas. I'm at his arch rival, but I get to be a starting quarterback in the Big Twelve at a program like this with all this history. Unbelievable.
0: So, how did they tell you you you're going to be named the starter? Did they call you into the office or is it just out on the
1: practice field? Interesting. Very, I mean, almost picture perfect, identical situations of that time and then when I got basically demoted and they told Baker he was going to be the starter. (laughs) But Sent us a text, said, hey, I'd like you to come in at this time. We're going to, you know, tell you if you're the starter or not or however the text went. Okay. And so it's kind of nerve-wracking. You park your car, you're walking in like, oh, no. have they already, don't know. Have they already met with the other two guys? Am I the first guy? You don't know. And walked in. It was pretty nonchalant. It was, you know, it's me on one side of the table and Bob Soups, Josh Heupel on the other side and a bunch of championship rings and, you know, all the bling that, that's in a head coach's office. And they basically were just like, hey, we thought you've done a good job. You're going to be our starter next week. And it's like, boy, that quick? You know, you didn't, you're not going to preface it <laughs> exactly. with anything else? we, we got to talk about this right, a little bit more. right? And it's just, I leave there, I, I, I'm almost in tears, you know, just because I had worked so hard for that. And you had worked your, not just that past year or that past off season, but it's your whole life. I, going back to what we were talking about, you know, having fun and working hard. That's what yeah. you do. I always had fun playing. I always worked hard getting there. And now all that had paid off. And so greatest feeling in the world. But to ba- back to your question about just the, what, what sport has taught me about yeah. life. You know, I was on cloud nine then, and it's easy to be a front runner and you know, everything's going well then on and off the field. But, you know, you start playing bad or you have an injury or you, you face some adversity, how do you respond to that? And at a place like Oklahoma, you're not playing well, especially in the day and age of social media, you're going to hear about it. And it's how do, you, how do you manage those things? And for me, it was surrounding myself with people that were going to lift me up. And that was a huge lesson for me to you know, surround myself with guys in the locker room and even outside of the locker room that no matter what was going on, they were just going to kind of be that backbone. And I was lucky enough to find an incredible group both at Oklahoma and A&M to do that because it's difficult. You can't go through it alone. Yeah, I was if going you-
0: to ask you, how do you filter out all of the noise from – these fans that are on social media and because, I mean, you're just part of the generation that social media is just a part of your life. So it's not like you're going to necessarily give it up for the rest of your life. You're always going to be exposed to it. So how did you filter out
1: that type of noise? Yeah. For me, it was, it was easy, you know, and, and people, a lot of people don't understand that. Um, for whatever reason, I just thought of it as, Hey, this is just somebody that doesn't mean a whole lot to my life. That's behind a a phone screen or a computer screen, and they can say what they want. And if you go look at my Twitter feed throughout a game, it's, oh my gosh, you're the greatest thing ever. Whenever I throw a touchdown, <laughs> I throw a pick or do something bad, it's, sign this guy's transfer <laughs> papers, get him out of here. You know, and I, I, don't, I thought it was kind of humorous yeah, to okay. be honest, but. It is different for for kids nowadays. I mean, there's always somebody in your ear. And I will say, throughout my experience, I don't think I've ever had anybody look me in the eye face-to-face and say anything negative. It's always supportive. But it's easy to get behind a screen and and, and be negative. And I also kind of took the path of that's what makes college football specifically so fun is because people are so passionate about it, especially a place like Oklahoma. I mean, you go 8-5 and like we did my, I guess, junior year. You're, I mean, calling for the dogs. I mean, ruins people's Christmas. And I'm like, man, people are really passionate about this, and I get to affect that. I, I thought it was kind of cool, but I think social media nowadays, it's difficult for some kids, and if you don't handle it the right way, or have people to help you handle it, you can get in a pretty dark place pretty quick. And when
0: you had those type of bad games, you throw some picks, you throw some interceptions, you're not playing well. You know, how did you compartmentalize that? Okay, I've got to go now. Next play. I
1: mean, how did you do that? I think that's just a mentality that you learn from an early age, and I was lucky to, enough to have coaches and mentors, and my dad, and everybody that that kind of ingrained that into me. Um, but again, you know, relating back to life, you know, things bad, bad things are going to happen, but it's how you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, and go on. And you know, playing football, play by play, you got to do that a little bit quicker. You do. But week by week, it's the same thing as life. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Don't listen to the outside noise. How are you going to be the same guy every single day and make yourself one step better each and every day? That's the mentality you have to have. Yeah. And if you don't do that, then you're going to be non-successful. Those
0: times when it's pressure-packed situation, and now college football is a little bit different in terms of teams don't necessarily huddle as much as they used to. But what was that like, though? In a huddle situation, crowds going crazy, and you've got 10 other guys – Looking at you, and you've got to be that person to remove some of the chaos and get them organized and
1: on the same page. What's that like? See, I loved that aspect of it. That is my personality. You know, regardless if I'm playing well, I want to make sure the rest of the guys around me are playing much better. And I enjoyed, especially when times were going rough, getting in there, having that confidence, looking a guy in the eyes, and truly making him believe, hey, we're going to go do this. Like that, yeah. that's leadership to me. That's what I, that's the type of leader that I want to be. Yeah. And so, you know, you got a hundred thousand screaming fans. They're all yelling at you, cussing at you, whatever it is, <laughs> getting in that huddle, having that confidence, looking the guy in the eyes and saying, Hey, let's go do this boys. There's nothing better in, in my chest than that feeling right there.
0: Can you hear, I mean, I, I'm obviously you can hear, but I'm just talking when the crowd is going that crazy though, do you have almost... Not tunnel vision, but tunnel hearing. In terms of you're only focused on what you're hearing within your teammates, right there.
1: Yes and no. Depends on how the game's going. Depends on where you're at. Um, depends on the mindset that you're in at the time. Yeah, you kind of block out the crowd as a whole. But nowadays in college football, it's 10 feet from the sideline to, or from your bench to the, the you know, the fans. You hear some things. I remember specifically we were in Morgantown, West Virginia. We were number four in the country. I think it was the fourth game of the year the following season, 4-0, 5-0, whatever it was. And there was this one guy, and he was, every time I came off the field, he was looking me in the eyes, and he was saying some things that I don't even know if I could repeat ever. I mean, it was the and crazy stuff. There's this is a fan. there's a fan. And, yeah, it's loud and everything, but you can hear that guy. He's on the front row. You're 10 feet from him you try not to listen to him, but you can hear what he's saying. And so we end up uh, going ahead and it's actually the only pass I ever caught in college, but we run a little reverse pass. I slip out, catch a touchdown pass, quiet him down a little bit, but I'm running off the field. And again, he's got both of his middle fingers extended my way, just staring at my soul. And it, it, it got caught on video and I'll have to find it somewhere and I'll send it to you. But I just gave him a little wink. He didn't say anything the rest Uh, of the game. It It was fantastic. (laughs) But yeah, you, you know, you try to kind of get in the zone and not worry about it, but it's a part of the game. There's going to be people lifting you up you know from the sidelines and then there's going to be people especially on the road that are just tearing you down and so oh, of it goes back to the same thing what are you going to listen to how are you going to let it affect you and kind of what's the mission and the goal in front of you Well,
0: what so. about on the field how much trash talk is going on in terms of the defensive line when you're coming up there for the snap are they
1: yelling barking at you i think it just depends depends on the guy depends on the team depends on where you are in the season if it's a big time matchup and there's a lot of kind of tension between the teams yeah you hear some stuff I never was a big trash talk guy I look back on it now and I probably should have talked a little <laughs> bit more trash and had fun with it but yeah there's some guys that are ruthless and yeah. I'm not throwing him under the bus because I think he prides himself on this but Orlando Brown our left tackle at Oklahoma the best trash talker I have ever heard <laughs> I mean he would research it was part of his film study Whoever he was going up against that week, he would research their mom, their sister, their oh, wow. girlfriend, everything, and he'd pull out all the stops. And it was hilarious just <laughs> watching him demoralize this guy, both physically and,
0: and emotionally. Emotionally,
1: yeah. Classic.
0: Now, what about did guys ever apologize to you, you know, offensive linemen or running backs that miss blocks when you got sacked they're like hey Trev, man sorry absolutely you know
1: and and that's me too though you know you get in a huddle and I just threw a bad bat hey that's my bad you know that's part of it you're gonna make mistakes in a high pressure situation and with a million different parts in the game of football nobody's gonna play perfect and it's about being genuine though hey that was my bad taking it I think a huge part of playing the position of quarterback is taking accountability and when you truly have that look in your eye I mean there's you can tell when somebody's genuine and when they're not genuine. When you're genuinely going up to a group, even if it was your fault or not, and said, "Hey, that's my bad. Let's go get it on the next one." That's how guys start to believe in you. And one of the one of the best guys I ever saw do that was Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Man, that kid was incredible. A lot of people didn't get to see that side of it. Uh, you know, they talk a little bit more about it now that he's kind of in the limelight. But he had a way of making guys believe in him. And whether it was his fault or not, he'd come off the field. Hey, my bad, guys. Let's go get this and the energy, the passion that he had, guys gravitated towards him. And I think that, you know, leads to success in in some capacity.
0: Going to Texas A&M, though, what was that like the first day you're on campus? Because, I mean, this is after you leave Oklahoma. Were you nervous as you approach campus and now you're going to be a part of the football team?
1: You know, I wasn't until later on. Looking back on it, I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. Here I was you know, a two-year starter at the University of Oklahoma, played a lot of great ball. Yeah, I wasn't starting anymore, but I could have easily stayed there with my twin brother, finished out my career. We had just went to the college football playoff. We had a, a great opportunity to do that the next year, too. You know, the, the reasonings for leaving was simply, hey, I know I've played before, and I want to go play again. Otherwise, that was the perfect situation to just stay there. But you just missed being, missed being on the field. Miss being on the field. And how I had the courage and how I took the leap of faith, I, I really don't know. I didn't, I didn't sit down and sit Yeah, that's not an easy task. No, it wasn't. And, you know, maybe it's because it had to happen so quickly that I didn't have time to sit there and think about it. But I get to A&M, and I just immersed myself in the culture. And it was unique because, you know, at Oklahoma, you come in as a freshman, and you have time to build your rapport, to build kind of your respect amongst the team. I had one year, and it was my senior year, and I had to win these guys over in an offseason – Become a leader. Hopefully, become the starter. It was that's very fast, very time sensitive. Absolutely. And so, I wanted to do it the right way. I wanted to establish myself as a leader without stepping on anybody's toes and still earning that respect. And so, I kind of went back to my mindset freshman year and how am I going to do this this Mm offseason? It's in the weight room, and so that's how I first gained the respect again from those guys. Is I'm going to be the hardest worker in this weight room, and you can earn my respect that way, or I'll earn your respect that way, and then the rest will take care of itself. And It was awesome. I mean, I couldn't imagine a better situation for my last year and the way that the guys gravitated towards me and I think they were looking for a leadership role and I was able to just kind of step into it and then ended up getting named the starter the the day after spring ball's over, which that was that was why I went there. And that was kind of solidification of you're in the right spot. But then there's so much more to it than on the field like we've talked about. I mean, yeah, we had a great year. We're The first playoff rankings were number four, and we ended up not—you know—we ended up not having as great a year as we wanted to. But off the field, on the field, that whole experience life-changing.
0: That's what happens. That's what happens. You think it's going to be going one certain way, and it completely
1: changes. But I would have to say the weight room has done you really well. Well, I appreciate
0: (laughs) that. I appreciate that.
1: I don't know, Dan, sitting over there right now, he's probably not saying that because he whooped my butt yesterday. But that CrossFit. That's that's right. right. That's right.
0: (laughs) How was it though having to leave your brother?
1: I mean, you'd played with your brother your whole life. Absolutely, you know, and and it wasn't just playing with him my whole life. I don't think we had ever spent over a week apart. Yeah. So how difficult was that? And you know, there's it. Twins are an interesting dynamic. Yeah. You either really, really close. You do everything together, same group of friends, or you're complete opposite. Me and my brother, everything together. I mean, we shared a car until we got to college. We had all the same best friends. We went everywhere together, and he. You know very different personalities, but I think I needed him more than he ever needed me. He was just my guy, you know whenever something bad was going on or even coming off the sidelines to the sidelines, giving him a high five it it uplifted me, so that was again one of those things that I didn't really have time to think about, but it was it was kind of crazy and it ended up being really cool. I get to watch a bunch of his games and that was what yeah. I looked forward to either before or after our game or if we played at the same time immediately getting on the phone hey how'd the game go tell me how so-and-so played what happened was you know stoops yelling at you you know all the all the fun stuff <laughs> right. and uh, so it was it was hard not having him day in and day out but we were nowadays I mean you got FaceTime and everything we talked oh, yeah. multiple Easily times Easily accessible. A day. Easily accessible so yeah. it wasn't as difficult as I thought but uh, I definitely miss being around him and, and having that guy on the sidelines and, you know, at pregame meal and all those different things. Yeah. Uh, now, but it worked out.
0: Having a twin, is it true in terms of what they talk about? I know you guys are fraternal twins, not identical twins, but this whole concept of you can sense what the other person is feeling or what they're going through or was that – something that
1: you guys experienced absolutely um it is unique you know it's somebody that you've literally done life with every second of your life from the very beginning and uh yeah i would say connor my twin brother is has done such an incredible job of this sounds wrong but knowing his role and he's had his successes i've had mine but when it came to college football i was the one that got the scholarship off the bat i was you were in the limelight. i was in the limelight but he handled that so well. It was never, I wish I was doing what Trevor does. It was, hey, I'm going to come to work every day. I'm going to prefer to walk on, but I'm going to do everything they ask me to do. I'm going to work hard. He ended up earning a scholarship. He ended up lettering all four years, playing a lot on offense his last couple of years. And he had his own successes there. But throughout all of that, it was never you versus me. It was always, Trevor, what can I do for you? And I was, Connor, what can I do for you? And it, yeah. I, I respect my brother a whole lot for that because – it, I mean, that could be hard having your brother in the limelight and getting a lot of success, but also seeing him kind of get trashed by the media and, <laughs> and the fans and everything. That could be difficult, but he handled it unbelievably. And we did. We had he knew that feeling. He knew what I needed at the yeah. right time, and then just the chemistry too. I got to throw him a touchdown pass. I knew exactly what he was doing on that play. Yeah. We had run it a million times in the backyard. It's that telepathy. So it, really cool dynamic.
0: That's awesome. Now, when you make the transition out of Texas A and M and pursuing an NFL career what were some of the biggest challenges that you saw just in terms of the differences between a college team and an NFL team
1: well I think you know it goes back to you experience a little bit of it if you're redshirting to where you're not necessarily the guy but now you're I mean you are nobody you got the Matt Ryans of the world the Carson Palmers two guys I played with that's right all these big time names you're easily replaceable and that's the way the league is it's a revolving door and to try and go in somewhere and get confidence with not really anybody caring that you're there. And, and that's maybe not fair. There's a lot of guys that care about you, but the pecking order is way different. And you really got to go in and find a way to build your own confidence in order to play well and make it to where, hey, I, they just can't cut me because I'm doing a good enough job. But that's difficult to do when you don't have somebody, hey, you're going to be the starter soon. I wasn't going to start over Carson Palmer. You know, or <laughs> hey, you're going to be the, you know develop this many years yeah. and you're going to be right there with matt ryan competing for the job it's just not going to happen yeah. so that was a big hurdle for me just trying to figure out how can i get myself pumped up enough each and every day um to compete but knowing that you know it, the foreseeable future is not to be the guy on the field yeah you know that
0: was, that was difficult and i was going to ask you that because i mean obviously you wanted to do that when you were in college and that's why you go to texas a and m so a lot of guys talk about depression and having a difficult time you know that next chapter in their life, whether they're as a backup role or not playing at all so how are you dealing with with that?
1: I think it's a a really quite a big issue in the league um you know you you make goals for yourself, right and you know everybody's goal as a football player, especially somebody that came from from nothing is i want to make it to the nfl because one it's a dream of mine but two it's monetarily it's going to change my life right and the just the reality of it is there's a few tom brady's there's a few matt ryan's there's a few guys that are making life-changing money and everybody else it's it's not that way and so these guys get there and maybe they don't see success or maybe they never get on a on a starting position or even get on the field in a regular game like myself yeah. and man that was my goal for my entire life and i'm here and now what? You know what, it, what are my plans afterwards? And again, it goes back to who you surround yourself with, I think, and, and kind of what you pour into your own mind. And it's realizing that, yes, this is a dream and a goal of mine, but what's next? What's after that? How can I use this experience to propel myself into something greater? And just because you don't go make – the big time money, or just because maybe you never even start a game in the NFL, doesn't mean that the experiences to get you to that point can't propel you into something greater after. And so it's having that mindset of long term instead of short term. But you know, guys will go, and even if they have a successful NFL career, once it's over, it's like I they still what I wanted to do. That's right. What do I do now? And I think there needs to be maybe some more programs in place, or or people that you know invest time into guys really trying to create the mindset of hey this is short-lived you know regardless yes. of how much money you live or how much money you make you know you're going to retire you know before you're 40 years old you got a lot of life to live a after lot. that what are you going to do afterwards and again that's maybe not too fair they they do have a lot of great programs in the league and especially your rookie year to to help you understand that but there needs to be more yeah, um, it's just it's too big of an issue for yeah. guys. I know
0: a guy um, that is trying to do that. Rob Vaca with Signature Pro. He's really you know trying to look at trying to help guys make that next step into outside of playing and try to do it early on when they're in the NFL or in any type of professional uh, sport. You know, trying to do that. But I agree. It it there's a lot more that needs to go into it. So, but for your specific plans, have you? Thought about coaching or broadcasting, or what's kind of, yeah, I'm going actually, through your mind. Uh, I'm
1: in a limbo phase right now. It's it's a pretty cool season of life. Um, you know, had surgery, went home you know, was doing rehab three to four days a week, but had time on my hands, which yeah. I think, you know, as a kid that's a year or two out of college, that's pretty unique because everybody, you know, typical oh, usually person, it's fast,
0: fast, fast, get back out, what's the
1: first job I can get, start your career and, and move on. But for me, I had this time. And so I wanted to be productive. Sure. I could have laid in bed and watched Netflix all day and <laughs> kind of taken a sabbatical, but I really did want to start thinking about what if I never can play again? And, yeah. and to this, you know, this moment right now I'm I'm not on a team and that could very well be what's kind of my path. Mm-hmm. And so I just got on the phone and started talking to people. Got a bunch of contacts from A and M, OU, people I knew in San Antonio and surrounding areas. And it was cool to try and navigate the conversation of, hey, I'm not looking for a job right now. I'm still trying to pursue the league. I've got, you know, other things. I don't know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Just tell me about your industry. Tell me about, you know, life experience, how you got from graduating college the success that you're having today and I got so much wisdom over those conversations and uh, it was really cool to navigate that and kind of throughout that I was like if I'm not on a team this summer I'd love to have an internship type Mm -hmm. seasonal employment type role because you know playing ball you never had the opportunity to go do an internship I had never no time I told I'll get to this in a minute but I told my current boss right now I said you got to understand I never worked at a car wash I never worked at the lemonade stand, I never had an internship. (laughs) This is my first real job ever, just because ball was what you did. And so long story short, I ended up connecting with this guy. He was an Aggie and uh, he opened up a wealth management firm about 10 years ago. And, you know, I asked him about the industry, sounded like something I could Mm -hmm. be interested in. And he said, hey, if you're interested in this, come hang out with us over the summer. So this summer I've been hanging out at this okay. wealth management firm and learning that business. And I love it. And the guys that I work for, it's called Avondale Wealth Management based in Austin. And um, it's been incredible. And it's been that kind of business mindset. Now, I don't, I don't know for sure if that's what I'm going to pursue. Um, my mind's open to broadcasting. I think that'd be incredible um, and, and a million different other things. But I have gotten this experience while I'm in this limbo phase of are you playing are you not playing is a team going to call of kind of the business aspect and then to take it a little bit further uh, my year at a and I, uh I got a year of my master's done it's a year and a half program and I just re-enrolled two weeks ago I'm going to go knock the rest of my master's out this fall be done in December Excellent. so it'll be quick so hopefully come December there'll be a little bit more clarity as far as football goes as far as what's after football and I'll have a degree from A&M, which is more of a personal thing than a, a professional thing. Yeah, I was going to ask me. you,
0: why is that so important? Because there's debate, you know, how important a master's degree is, depending on what career you go into. So why is that so important for you?
1: You know, I had to write a letter to get re-enrolled and um, the people at AM have been incredible in getting me back re-enrolled and getting into my, you know, program and everything like that. But as I was writing that letter, I got to truly look, reflect for the first time of why do I want to finish this? And it, you know, professionally, could it help me down the road? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, it looks good professionally, but mm-hmm. it really is a personal thing for me. You know, I I got to go to a place that now I love and I call home, a place in Texas AM that I think is one of the most unique places in the entire country, in the entire world. And yeah, it'd be cool to say, yeah, I went and played ball there for a year and got a little bit of my master's done, but to get to say, hey, I went to a and I got a degree from there, I got my Aggie ring, which is a, a huge deal that's a for the Aggies. It's a big deal. Yes, I do um, know that tradition. To kind of close the circle on that season of life, it's a personal thing because it means so much to me. So to get to say that I'm truly an Aggie, have a degree from there, that's more of the reason why.
0: Yeah. Now we've touched on it a little bit, but just to sum things up through, I mean, you've had these ups and downs in life and these starts, restarts and what you're doing right now. And so how is sports, if you could sum it up,
1: how has that helped you navigate through life? Well, again, going back to just facing the adversity of life, I think life and sport is a roller coaster ride. You've got your highs, you've got your lows, you've got everywhere in between. For me, it's it's my faith that kind of got me all the way through that. And I truly believe that there's one constant thing in, in our lives, and that and that's our Savior. And so, you know, kind of taking that spiritual mindset through all of that is – it doesn't matter if I'm on top of the mountain or if I'm down in that deep deep trough it's what's going to truly get me through each and every day because you can take it to each and every play each and every series you know you make a great throw boom my confidence is up you throw a pick the next play, my confidence is down it's it's about being even keeled and what gets you to be even keeled and so for me that was that was my faith and in, in getting getting through everything that How way early
0: did your faith become a part of your life?
1: Uh, When I was young, um, I was lucky enough to have parents take us to church and accepted Christ in my life when I was 11 years old. And then again, I I always go back to the people you surround yourself with. And I had people pouring into my life and um, throughout middle school, high school, college that truly helped me keep that mindset through it all. And you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, you think you're going through a bunch of things on and off the field. Um, you know, when I was battling against Baker Mayfield, which I ended up losing the battle, a lot of people don't know at the same time, my parents are going through a divorce. Um, I'm going through a wow. bunch of different things that, and that's real life stuff. Yes, it um, is. And that's kind of things that you talk about with your teammates and everything when, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the world doesn't know about it, but there's a lot more, I think, to just your number on the field, you know, I'm number nine T night on the back of my Jersey <laughs> at Oklahoma, but, You know, it was a good life lesson knowing that everybody goes through something, regardless of the success it looks like you're having on the field. There's things going on off the field for everybody. There is. You think
0: you know, but you just don't know. Absolutely. That's what I've realized. And I think
1: that's, you know, that's cool for fans and for people that aren't a part of it to hear is that, yeah, it looks like Tom Brady is on top of the world. And maybe that's a bad example because it seems like he's going, you know, everything's going well for him. And it probably is to a degree, but... He's struggling with things just well, like everybody else. He has to have ups and downs. He's Absolutely human. he does. That's just the reality yeah, of it. And so to kind of grasp that and be able to be transparent about that with teammates and with coaches and things like that, that, that was cool. And so to kind of sum that all up, surrounding yourself with the right people, yeah. but also just finding whatever makes you even keel going through those highs and lows best advice I could give as far as you know, just being an athlete and how it relates to life. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you if you had any other
0: words of wisdom, uh, quotes or phrase or mottos. I mean, that was great advice there, but do you have any other thing that has meant a lot to you that you've leaned on?
1: Yeah, I think one of them for a bunch of kids out there is work hard and have fun. There's nothing else to it. I mean, yeah, how, you know, I've had dads ask me before about their 11-year-old son. How do I get him a scholarship? (laughs) And my true answer is tell him to have fun and work hard and if that's what he truly wants to pursue then he'll go make it happen Uh, so I can't reiterate that enough but also something that I've always held on to that my dad's told me since I was a little kid is somebody's always watching and so it's how you conduct yourself on and off the field and what you do when nobody's watching because somebody's always watching it really makes a difference and Mm -hmm. so I appreciate my dad for ingraining that into me and you know I've I've made mistakes just like everybody else but I've truly tried to take that approach of, hey, whatever I do is going to affect some little kid somewhere. And I look at myself. You know, it was it was hard for me to grasp the idea of I was the Colt McCoy for a couple years that I always looked up to. You know, I wanted to be like Colt McCoy. There's kids out there and it it's hard to wrap your mind around, but they wanted to be the Trevor Knight. They want to be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma or at Texas AM. And so when you take that mindset to it and realize that not just somebody's watching but a little kid's watching that wants to be you it kind of it makes you think a little bit differently so just the impact that you can have it's amazing definitely those are my those are my pieces of advice that i've held on to and if you know got me to where i am today and i hopefully once ball's over and i'm not in any sort of limelight anymore I'll still hold on to those. So, Well said.
0: Well, Trevor, I can't thank you enough. Being the very first guest to be on the live podcast here on Facebook Live. And Trevor, thank you so much. Awesome. Great. Thank you, you, appreciate you so much it. for having me on, Rich. Doors of opportunity open and close in life. And most of the time, we don't understand why they close or even why they open. But the key is being able to take that step and not worrying about the true direction of a particular path because you never know how your path might start and even restart just like Trevor experienced. Through it all, though, he maintained a focus of working hard while having fun because Trevor always knew that through his ups and downs, someone was always watching. Now that finishes Episode 77. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit RichTakeOnSports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Thanks for listening.